Welcome to Northern Latitudes. I'm Bill Alt. Megan Ward is an outdoor travel and adventure writer based in Banff, Alberta, a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society and the author of Lights to Guide Me Home. Megan is wife and partner in business and creativity with Paul Ziska, a mountain landscape and adventure photographer. They love to explore the wild and the world together and take their two young daughters along for the ride. Welcome to Northern Latitudes, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. The subtitle of your book is A Journey Off the Beaten Track in Life, Love, Adventure, and Parenting. And it's all that and a whole bunch more. And it's an amazing read. What strikes somebody at this point in life to write a memoir? I, I'm not sure where the idea came from that you need to wait until you're older to write about your life. I think there's a lot of power in writing about events that you're perhaps a little bit closer to in timeline. And so I think it was important for me to capture a distinct transitional phase of my life uh, while I was on the tail end of it. So I turned 40 in a year and this book um, dabbles a little bit into my childhood, but largely starts uh, when I'm 21. And so for me, I think I've had enough time to be able to look back on it and reflect and write from that voice of, of wisdom and experience while also being close enough to those memories to write about them as accurately as I could. And I said before we started, I wish this book had been around when I was about 20 years old, mostly because I'm about to turn a couple of decades older than Megan is. It's kind of a, it's a really interesting story because you go from Canada, which is Eastern Ontario where I'm based. You'd go for a summer out to BC to work, or sorry, to Alberta to work and everything changes, right? Everything changes. (laughs) Can you put it down to one thing that why all of a sudden the path diverged as much as it did? You're the first person to ask me that question. I cannot put my finger on it, which I think is what was so strange and wonderful about the experience. That it was like my heart was just torn open in a good way. And I became receptive to a new way of life in every possible way that that means that I'm not sure I would have been before. I think just getting on that plane was what unlocked that experience, being willing and ready for an adventure, even though I didn't know that that would become a 180 type of adventure. I I just can't credit any single experience out in the mountains that created those changes for me. If I had to choose, it would have been meeting my now husband, Paul. And it's an amazing part of the book. The love story itself is worth the book. It really is. Because you're two opposites attract, as they say. You're at that point in life, definitely. You're two very different people. And 
part of it is you're right, I think, I believe when I read the book is part of it is Paul leading you off. But I also wonder how much of it was in you at least a little bit before you left. Like you talk, you've talked very glowing, glowingly, sorry, of the old quarry trail in Canada. And it meant a lot to you. I think maybe it meant more to you as you sat down to write this book. And you can always say, no, Bill, you're wrong. But I think as you started to reflect on things, that was important. Mm -hmm. It really was. And I still love that Cory Trail. Um, it was really interesting, actually. Back in November, I was visiting my folks in Ottawa, and I went to walk the Cory Trail. And there's a particular route that you can take from my house. You, you, you get to the Cory Trail, and then you take every left turn to get back to the neighborhood, to go back to the house. And there had been a massive windstorm in Ottawa that blew down trees and they still hadn't cleared the last half of the forest. And I could, we could not go left. It was such an interesting experience because in the book, I talk about how well I know this trail and I can always find my way back home. And then and here I was returning to it and we couldn't get through. We actually had to retrace our steps back. I think some really pivotal things happened in that forest for me as a child. I could almost write a second memoir just about the process of writing a memoir uh, because I did uncover some things. I didn't even know that I was really mining for, for meaning and, in, and in, in, in some ways information. I think what you're referring to is like something almost dormant in me or a, a spark that was that was hidden. There was more in me to be released and things that my environment where I grew up just hadn't let me fully express. And then when I moved to the mountains, it's like it just ignited a wildfire for me. And the wildfire leads to marriage. It leads to kids and your travel, well, first I should say it leads to a lot of travel, which is a whole new experience for you. And traveling with a partner has its highs and lows, as we all know, as anybody that's done it. It's, it's, and again, it's just an amazing story of, I think most couples go through, they don't all do it through travel, but we all go through it. And you, you describe it very well. Um <laughs> How is it? How has the travel, and how has your experience shaped the relationship? Hmm. One thing that was that became clear through the writing process was that I wanted to capture the traveling experiences to challenge me as a writer to to be able to bring people into a sense of place and with the smells and and everything that they might experience there if they were there too, but. A lot of those locations were really just the backdrop to this unfolding inner journey and, and as well to the evolution of my relationship with Paul. Um, I like to say these traveling experiences offer a pressure cooker type of environment to a couple. They're really healthy in that way. It like immediately tests you in every possible way it pushes on all your buttons. You really have to work hard as an individual and as a couple to find ways to find harmony, 
to enjoy yourselves, to work together, to compromise, to problem solve together a lot of the times in the kinds of places we're traveling. And um, they've definitely challenged us, challenged us at times as well. And so you know, I wouldn't lie about that. We've had some tough times in our travels too, but I continue to appreciate how they, they shape us as a couple and now as a family with, uh, with our kids in the, in the mix. Yeah, and bringing the kids into the mix is, is quite interesting as well because we all go through it as we're trying to introduce our children to the outdoors and to travel. You've done it to an nth degree more than most of us. And it's interesting because you, you talk about how the first, it doesn't always go well, especially the first time round, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm still recovering from that one. <laughs> And I don't want to give too much away, but it's it's a great story. It really is, as long as you're not living it. <laughs> yeah, enough that it it lasts for two full chapters. Uh, <laughs> I could have even written another one. <laughs> but what what is bringing children into the frame done as far as travel and your experiences while traveling? Hmm. I think there are challenges in parenting, whether you're at home or traveling the world. And so um, some people feel intimidated by the idea of traveling. It's just that it, it's kind of like parenting amplified, but it, it, it's also just such an enriching experience to see the world with kids and see it through their eyes. And for, for new parents, it, it, if you love to travel, it's, it's a really an opportunity just to continue to tap into your passions and still see the world. And, yeah, you have to get really creative and you have to let go of your, your usual agenda you might have if you were traveling as a single adult or in a group or, or with your partner. You really have to let go of the pace that you're used to, to traveling with or the ease sometimes. But we found that people are so friendly <laughs> to you when you're traveling with kids. I tell a couple stories in the book where, where I share just the sheer friendliness of the people that we're, that we're meeting when we're traveling and their generosity of spirit. And so I cherish those experiences so much. And, you know, we try to make magic out of the mundane here at home as well. But for us, nothing has really compared to these these moments we've we've experienced together, the four of us exploring the world. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite chapters in the whole book was the trip to Ireland, just because of the way you described it, but also because your children, at least your oldest at that point, was able to enjoy some of the the elements around her. And I, there's one particular passage where you talk about her rhyming off science facts with Paul listening. And it's, it's just so well done. And it, it's like, it's something that every parent can relate to. Here's this little, you know, this little human going along talking about, you know, how the sun's the biggest thing in the, you know, the universe, you know, in our planet, right. you know, and that sort of thing. And it was just, it's just amazing. The whole book's like that. And I just want everybody to understand that the whole book is like that. I think what that story's also saying is just kids are kids wherever they are. And so, you know, we've seen our kids grow up a lot through the travel because of the types of discomforts 
and problem solving that we're exposing them to that they don't experience at home because we are so fortunate and so privileged that to some degree, we need to create challenges for ourselves so that our kids can learn more resilience because they aren't getting it because of how fortunate we are. And that sounds so weird to say, but it's because we have the privilege to travel that we do with them. And when we do, we see that they are just kids wherever they go. And, you know, Maya spouting science facts while she's hiking is one example of that, or, you know, losing her tooth on Malta. So um, you're right. It's, it's, uh, there is that kind of flavor throughout the book of just, this is just how it really plays out when you're with these kids in these places. But it's, it, and it's good. It, maybe it's because I'm a little older, but it brings back so many memories of all these things happening. And it's just such a comforting read. It's just a, such a comfortable read. You have some great quotes in your book and they're from different people. And I'm going to talk about a couple of them, but this one is yours. We can go our whole lives trying to pad our lives with predictability. What does that mean? Hmm. It's actually a big question because I could answer it in different ways, depending on which lens I'm looking through. I think I grew up in an environment. Well, I know I grew up in an environment that was more conservative and traditional than the one that I'm raising my kids in. And it created for me the sense of almost like a predicted future of things that I would do and the pattern in which I would do them. And, you know, you meet the men, you have the kids. Part of that was rooted in a faith community that I grew up in. And when I stepped off the beaten track from that, I let go of a lot of predictable things that I even was assuming for myself. Now, we all know, especially after COVID, there is absolutely nothing predictable or known or certain in life. And, and I think that we're kidding ourselves if we can rely on anything to some degree. But it is tempting sometimes to stay with what's familiar and to stay within what's expected of us because it's scary to branch out. It's scary to disappoint people even. And so for me, padding your life with predictability implies that that one that you're intentionally trying to avoid the uncertain and adventure and what this book i hope encourages people to do is to inject some adventure into their lives it's a way of learning so much about ourselves it makes life so much more enriching and i think I think that we're missing something when we feel like we can really control all the elements. Does that answer it? It does. And it's, it's interesting because I've done a few of these this week and COVID's come up in every one of them, which is, you know, kind of, you know, expected, but at the same time, it's one of those things where COVID did, if anything, teach us that life is not predictable. And you're right that we've settled into patterns not just as individuals, but even as a society that, you know, we need to, we need to branch out. We need to break out of that and we need to get a little bit more of the adventure back in our lives. And even, and one of your quotes is from GB Shaw, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. And 
that's so important and you've done so many amazing things to do that. What's the, what's the process people need to go through to start creating themselves? I've said it a few times this week, just talking about even the, the process of promoting a book. It's just really getting comfortable with being a squeaky wheel and being hard to ignore. Um, I, and I also say it in the book a little bit, that whole concept of you know, faking it till you make it. I do get the feeling that I've had some people who've helped me along the way, for sure. I've had some people who gave me a break and some editors who let me write for them and um, people who saw potential in me. Uh, a lot of it, though, has been driven by just me having the drive and the, the dream and then putting those two things together until I just kind of made it happen. And like I said at the beginning here, just being that squeaky wheel that, you know, it's like you, maybe you don't hear back right away, but maybe you follow up and then maybe you follow up again. And then, and then you just kind of wait in the wings because sometimes those things just come full circle on their own. But I think when it comes to creating a life, it's just knowing that it's within your power to reach out and make things happen for yourself, especially when you come from a privileged background. Um, I'm going to acknowledge that this is not a possibility for everyone. And I feel so grateful for, for the life that I was born into that's allowed me to even have the possibility to imagine being a creative freelance writer or an outdoor writer or uh, running a photography company. But a lot of it is just putting in the time, the energy, and just the self-confidence to make things happen. You just mentioned all your, I don't know what we call them, little streams in your life. So you, you, do, you do so much. How do you balance all that stuff? Hmm. As a creative person, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I consider myself that much of a creative person, but I know that this gets tricky because, you know, there's only so many hours of the day there, Megan. I think you've just identified the dark side of the previous question, which is, you know, yes, we can reach out and create these experiences for ourselves and work hard and be that squeaky wheel and be hard to ignore. But it does come at a cost. And I think I've learned that the hard way over the years, especially when my oldest was younger, I was doing way too much. I was spinning plates on parts I didn't even know I had. And I, I hit burnout more than once. And I think I've learned through those experiences that life is just way too short to get focused on the really nitty gritty details. And, and, and as I get older, I've just been gradually refining where I put my energy. So it's still a lot, but uh, Paul and I both have some criteria that we we weigh any opportunity up against to ensure that it's it's something that we want to put our energy into because we can't do it all and we can't be great parents either if we're so busy with all the other stuff that you know it takes away from our energy our patience our our ability to be present with our children which is ultimately what's most important to us you have a, one of your sub stacks is called field notes. And 
I think your last post or your last writing was edit your life. <laughs> Explain to me, edit your life. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a really new concept. A, a couple of people, couple of people have commented on that post about how, you know, another way of calling it is just prioritizing. But as a writer and an editor, it just, it actually kind of resonated with me, this idea that um, in the way that I might take a paragraph and rearrange it and edit it and take, make some cuts to make it more concise and make sure every, every word had weight that I could apply this concept to my life. And it's just, it's, it's more general than prioritizing. It's like in the micro, it's in the micro, it's in the, it's, it's looking at my to-do list and just deciding before I dive in, you know, what can shift, what can move, what can go. And I think it's, it's something that I'm just kind of practicing now. I'm just testing it. I'm, I'm playing with it. <laughs> it's interesting because like, like you said, it's, you, you can, you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes when you're when you're doing this when you're doing so much what did you learn from writing your book hmm i was just asked this question the other day and i stumbled oh. and it's like i i just i feel like maybe i need to sit down with a journal and think about it more <laughs> maybe you didn't learn anything um, megan definitely did <laughs> well one writing a full-length memoir is a lot, a lot of, of work, work. Yeah. And a lot of work to, for me as a writer, to get it to a place that I, I'm really proud of. I think ultimately I learned what I learned in the book. So I don't necessarily want to give away the ending. No, no, um, no, no. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that is the easiest question is, you know, if you read the book, you'll you'll learn what I learned because I'm very transparent in the book about taking the reader along that journey with me through all these major milestones and what I ultimately learn about what's important in life and, and, you know, what I value most. Yeah. So anything you wish you put in that you didn't or anything you put in that you wish you hadn't? <laughs> <laughs> no, I spent a lot of time considering the weight of telling certain truths in this book so much so that you know there there really isn't anything in there that i would regret putting in or stories that i would regret telling um when i'm selecting excerpts for readings i have i'm i'm like making edits uh so there's, so there's like individual things that i would change because i'm I would perhaps write them differently, you know, um, yeah, now, but the, there's no content that I, that I would do differently. Again, it's, it's just such a remarkable book because it is so personal. What did you do to formulate the book from all these experiences? Was it journals? Was it like, is that how it was mostly came about? It was like a fruit salad of, um, <laughs> Is that a phrase? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> it was a fruit salad of, of techniques. So for more recent trips, I was able to write while I was on them. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a sequence, a rather, in my opinion, funny sequence on Malta when I'm when Paul's out photographing and my kids are having a meltdown. And my, <laughs> my youngest is like whacking the walls with kitchen utensils. 
And I wrote that shortly after that happened. Um, so there are some sequences or landscapes that I'm describing that I wrote while I was there. I signed the book contract while I was on Easter Island. Oh, really? And so oh. it was at that point in the book, which comes about maybe a third of the two thirds of the way through the book that I knew, okay, here's what this is going to be. And here and I did not write the book chronologically. I, I I just that's just not how it came together. So for the older memories, I was relying on some journals, photographs, Google Maps. Um, you know, when I literally I, you can use Street View to take yourself places. Uh, social media posts were really in, interesting. They they provided some insight because I was writing them again in the moment while I was experiencing something. I'm just, just leaning into my writer's memory, which is what I call it. Like writers have a second brain for details. So while we're experiencing something, we're actually thinking about how we might describe it as well. And I, I've kind of got like that catalog in my brain of, of memories, um, the way I kind of wrote them in my brain while I was experiencing them. Yeah, I was wondering how, because it, it does stretch, not quite 20 years, but pretty close. And I was wondering how it all came together. So it's interesting you talk about the part from Malta and, you know, what you call the funny part, which probably wasn't funny at the time, but it's funny looking back on any other funny experiences, especially with the kids, because I think that's really, when I look at this book, I, like I said earlier, if, if I was 22, 23 years old and, and my first child was born, you know, it's, it's like, I would have loved to have had this almost as a field guide for, you know, especially at the beginning of hmm, what to do with your kids and what not to do with your kids when you're traveling. And it's, it's just, it's so heartfelt, but it's, there's so some great moments in it, but give me one funny moment with your children that you just. Well, it's worth mentioning too. I, I wrote it with a non-parent in mind, somebody who was on the fence. No, someone, yep, yep. someone who, you know, wasn't yep. sure about having kids because they'd have to give up certain interests, mm -hmm. passions, and you could stretch that to even your career, right? Yeah. Um, no, for sure. But yeah, that's it's interesting. Um, funny. Oh man, everything I think of that's funny, <laughs> out of context of the book, it funny? <laughs> sounds so bad because you really need the context. Um, one that comes to mind is our drive home from the remote beach in Polynesia when the driver's uh, holding some special objects in his hands while he's driving. Oh, I'm really okay. thinking. Uh, that's okay. If you think part of it is we've been so lucky that uh, this past last year we were in Costa Rica and then we took the kids on a three-week road trip through the Balkans. And so I have like more recent um, travel experiences that are kind of taking over. What was the Balkans like as a family? Oh, just wild and awesome. They're beautiful countries. We were in Albania, Mas North Macedonia, Montenegro, and Croatia. And yeah, we, we covered a lot of ground, but um, just just really fell in love with the, the beauty and the history of those places. And the girls did really well. Um, <laughs> yeah. As long as we could find French fries, we were set. 
<laughs> okay, so the secret to traveling with children is French fries. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've said it on a couple other uh, interviews. It's 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 really just introducing certain comforts of home. And you know, there are there are times my kids are traveling, and you know, one's just like watching Paw Patrol on the iPad, and it's like, well, you know what? This little taste of home is what she needs to recalibrate. And then she's ready to go again. You talk about home and the meaning of home a little bit in the book. Expand on that. Hmm. Well, it kind of goes back to the COVID conversation. Um, <clears throat> we had moved into a new home here in Banff, this one, um, in winter of 2019. <clears throat> and we weren't here very long before, before COVID had us spending a lot of time here, period. It was a real positive of COVID. Um, and of course, just going back to our privilege that we just had such a beautiful place to be spending our time and living in a national park during a pandemic, you know, like for two months, they actually closed the park gates. And it's just the locals just like biking around and, you know, it's just the weirdest thing to be on Banff Avenue and it's just completely quiet, not even a car for three minutes. Um, and I think, one, it really made us miss traveling and it really helped us to, um, you know, be more grateful for the opportunities that we'd had and really not taking things for granted as much that, you know, now we can actually get on a plane again and go places. Um, but it also just brought a lot of the themes of the book full circle um, as I was reflecting back on my whole transition into where I am at in my life now. And so there's a, the kind of dual, dual process there of making our house a home, but then also becoming more at home with myself. When did you decide that you could be a writer? Man, this is like hot seat every question. <laughs> um, I think this one's really interesting because you're going out of your way to help people become a writer, creator. You have um, another sub stack called Waypoints. Yeah, it's a private sub stack for my students. Yeah. And so you're trying to help people get forward in this writing life. So at some point along the line, you decided you were a writer. I learned that I was interested in becoming a writer in my last year of university. I uh, was finishing up at Queen's University and had just a couple people in my life in a short time span tell me, you know, have you ever considered writing or editing as a career? It seems like something that you might be good at. And I honestly hadn't really thought of it. I had always enjoyed writing, but I, I hadn't considered it. And so that following year, I just started the, that process of creating a life. I literally Googled how to become a freelance writer and taught myself how to query an editor and how to submit an article. And it took a really long time to get my foot through the door. Um, I did some writing for free. I had a couple editors who, you know, just, I think, again, just saw some promise in me or, or noticed that I, I, I was very persistent and gave me a chance. But over time, I built that portfolio. I built that experience. And I think I started calling myself a writer 
in about 2010 when I quit any of my other jobs and went full time into freelance. And, you know, by then I was paying my bills as a writer. And so I think that's that's when I started using that title. <laughs> you have another quote, and I believe this one's from your web page, one of your web pages. Either write something worth reading or do something worth writing from Benjamin Franklin. And you've certainly done that. So what's the next book about? <laughs> uh, I've been toiling with some ideas but nothing is clear to me yet. Um, Which is fair. Yeah, I think part of the job of an author as well is you, is to be your 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 book's best advocate. And so for me, I'm I'm kind of doing lights to guide me home justice by spending some time talking about it. Um, and I think if I was already into another writing project, uh, I I wouldn't have time for that. And so I've got ideas and the, the publishing industry is working years in advance. And so if I don't come up with something soon, the, you know, there won't be anything until 2026. But um, I think I'm just waiting for the right idea to present itself to me. Where does the title come from? The title comes from a very clear image. So one night just a few years ago, I was hiking in the Bow Lake region, which is where I first moved when I moved to Banff back in 2005. And we were hiking back to the lodge where I used to work uh, by headlamp. And uh, in the distance, we can see the lodge lights. And at some point we clicked off our headlamps and just walked by the light of the moon and you know, drawn towards the glow of, of this building on the lakeshore. And it immediately brought me back to my first summers working there when that's exactly what I would do. I would, I would walk home to the lodge just by the light of the lodge kind of guiding me back. And I just had this moment, this, this moment of inspiration, uh, you know, lights to guide me home. Oh, wow, what? that sounds like a really nice title. And I even spoke it aloud to my hiking partners. But then what happened too was I had this interest in using navigational and wayfinding metaphors through the book as a way of making sense of the lessons I was learning about navigating off the beaten track. And the title worked so well for those two. Um, and just hearkening to the, you know, the way the Polynesians use the stars and, and all the ways that, that light has guided humans for centuries. So that's where the book title comes from. The title of the book. This Lights to Guide Me Home. It's available from Rocky Mountain Books and almost everywhere else you can buy books these days. And I'd like to thank Megan for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode. Thanks to producers Sarah Simpson and Alina Simpson of Media Made Manageable for their help this week. Theme music and sound logo by John Sanfilippo of Titan Sound in Kingston, Ontario. Make sure to tell a friend about the podcast and send them over to the podcast page at northernlatitudes.ca. I'm Bill Alt. Find your way to Northern Latitudes. Northern Latitudes.